of Mark, please. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Why do people check out Jesus? Why are people curious? Why do they want to find out about him? Several reasons. Curiosity. They follow the crowd. Tradition. They're looking for answers. They're confused. Maybe there's been a loss in their family or a loss in their lives. Maybe they need a crutch. Maybe they need a savior. Maybe they need a Lord. What happens when there's a confrontation with Jesus? When you're confronted with him? A few things. Some are drawn closer to worship him. Some run away. Some stay close, but not too close. Some are just indifferent. Let's take a look at verse 21. Now, when Jesus has crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. This was the Sea of Galilee. And he had just been on the other side in the area of the Gadar scenes where the demonic man was. And he had just healed the demonic man. But there was a whole cast of people who had come out because they were told what happened to this demonic man. And if you remember the story, they asked Jesus to leave the region. Can you imagine? Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you in this area. Boy, they had a weird reaction to God himself being on their hillside. Right there in their midst. But yet there was one man, at least we know, who was touched by Jesus, who went to ten cities and spread the gospel. How much of a crowd, after they heard about the demonic man, wanted to see more miracles, wanted to see more things that Jesus did? Just out of curiosity. Well, Jesus got into a boat and went to another region. If you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee in person, you can see all the way around it. You can see every side of it. So when we think of a sea, you might think of the ocean, but this is like a huge, huge lake that you can see across it. You can see people on the other side. You can see north, south, east, and west of the Sea of Galilee. Well, here in this next part of the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 5, Jesus has crossed over again by boat to the other side, and here we see a great multitude. Now, for us to believe that all the multitude was there to worship and follow him, I think we would be naive. 
I think there were all different reasons that people were there. But there was a crowd. Verse 22, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. We see the man's name is Jairus. Jairus' name means whom God enlightens. Whom God enlightens. And boy, before we finish tonight, is this man going to be lit up? And hopefully, so are we, by God's Holy Spirit. That he stirs things inside our heart, or he reaches down and touches us where we are, where I am with the needs I have and the needs you have. This was a ruler of a synagogue right near the Sea of Galilee. Most of the towns around the Sea of Galilee had synagogues. It was their church. And he was the ruler of the synagogue, probably a well-known man. Probably people went to him to ask for prayer if somebody was sick in their household or if there was a problem. They went to him for advice, just like we would with our pastor or people who know God's word. We would ask them for prayer. I wonder if Jairus had gone to his elders or to people in the men's group about his daughter. Maybe he went there first. But it's not helping. It's not working. And I'm sure with the fame that's been spread by word of mouth about Jesus, he said, well, here's a man. Seems like a holy man. Maybe he can help. You see, when it really came down to the nitty-gritty, Jairus, it was his daughter. He wasn't going to mess around. He, he loved this little girl. This was his flesh and blood. He would do anything to save this girl. Even go in front of a crowd and humble himself if he knew this little girl would get better. In verse 23, we see that he says to Jesus, Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Think of the Roman centurion, remember, that he says, you don't have to come to my house, but only speak the word. And they'll be healed. But we see here Jairus wanted Jesus to come and lay his hands on his daughter. I wonder what kind of faith Jairus had. Was it like my faith or your faith? What degree of faith did he have? Was he taking a shot in the dark? 
How much did he trust Jesus? We see Jesus, though, responds to him, doesn't he? He's, he's going with him. But notice there's a great crowd that's following. They're, they're pressing up against Jesus. They're walking down the road with Jairus and Jesus, and they're close by. They're bumping in. They're walking. I wonder what Jesus is thinking. We know here there's a man named Jairus. We don't know anybody else in the crowd's name. But Jesus did. He knew each and every one, just like he knows each one of us by name. Nobody's hidden from his sight. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you. Before the foundation of the world, he knew that this was going to happen, that Jairus was going to come up, and that Jairus' name would be written in the scriptures. Why? Because he wants to enlighten us. He's given us a heads up about how he works, how he acts, that there's no surprises in him or for him. Now, all of a sudden, the story shifts. There's this crowd walking to Jairus' house. We don't know how far it is, but the Sea of Galilee, there's little um, towns off the sea. Might walk up a hillside a half a mile and get to the town. It's right there. So within a five, ten-minute walk, you could be at Jairus' town, where the synagogue is, where his home is, where his little girl is dying. Now it shifts. Verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now notice how long the woman had this condition. It was 12 years. Long time to suffer. Notice also in verse 26, she suffered many things from many physicians. They, don't have the, they didn't have the modern medicine we have today, the painkillers, anti-inflammatories, things that we have today. And notice the result. She spent all that she had and was no better for it, but rather she grew worse. She had gone to the physicians. Nothing is working. Where does she go? It's been 12 years with this problem, this hemorrhaging that's going on. And then she hears about a man named Jesus. She heard other reports, I'm sure, of what he had done in other people's lives. And she had some hope that maybe he can do something in my life. Jairus thought the same thing. Maybe. Maybe he can help. But I want you to see something here that Jairus, we know his name, but we do not know this woman's name. Did you ever feel that Jesus didn't know you? Did you ever feel left out? That maybe some other people are being blessed and, man, why isn't Jesus touching my life like that? 
Just wait. Let's continue to see what happens here. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. In the book of Leviticus, if you've read chapter 15, verses 19 to 33, if you want to read that some other time, it talks about the condition where if a woman has a discharge of blood and how she should go about handling it because she was um, unclean, looked upon as unclean until she went through a ceremony. And she had to do certain things. And if it didn't work, she remained unclean. And anyone who touched her, or if she touched anyone, they had to go through a ritual because they were looked at as unclean. And I want you to see this picture now. I want you to imagine you're that person. Now remember, if she's married, how long has this been going on in her life? It's been going on 12 years. There's a divorce here. There's a separation from her husband because she's unclean. She can't live in her house anymore. She can't go to church anymore. She's an outcast. She can't go to the woman's part of the church and pray with the women. Twelve years, not two days, not seven days, and trying to go through the rituals to be ceremonially clean again. Twelve years. Have you ever been really sick for a couple days? How bad is that, right? Seven days? A month, 12 years. She's running out of hope. She's running out of answers. She's running out of money. So what does she do? Notice she goes behind Jesus in the crowd. And she's sneaking up in the crowd. How many of these people did she know? Were they strangers to her? Was she from another town? I don't know, but one of the things that stood out to me is when people were around Jesus, they didn't seem to notice too much else going around or the sickness of the illness of others. Isn't that true in our lives? When you're walking with the Lord and there's people that come into your life whether they're a pain in the neck, whether they're ill or they have a lot of problems or they're always complaining, whatever it is, I think you understand what I'm saying. And you're focused on Jesus. That person isn't bothersome to you like they are when you're not walking with the Lord. You have more compassion. You have a listening ear. You might send up a prayer for them while they're talking to you or when you're leaving. And maybe a few times during that day or that week or that month, all of a sudden now you're praying for that person because you know the Lord has touched your heart for that person. Well, here's this lady going up in the crowd and studying the words. They're bumping, there's banging, there's pushing. 
They're bumping it. It's a crowd. It's like being in New York City at Christmas time. You're trying to cross the street or go into a, a shop. But no one's noticing this woman. And she's taken a tremendous step of faith. And what does she do? She just wants to reach out and touch Jesus. She feels if she can touch Jesus, something will happen. Notice Jairus also feels that he's got to get Jesus into his house to lay hands on his little girl. Remember the Roman centurion? The degree of faith. Verse 28, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging around who and you and you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see her who had done this thing. Can't you see the disciples or the apostles? Who touched me? Jesus says, who touched me? And they're going, Jesus, are you kidding me? Everybody's touching. They're banging me. I'm hitting into you. What, what do you think's going on here? There's a big crowd here. Jesus knows in a crowd who's trying to reach out and touch him. He knows when we're in church, you and I are in church or at a Christian concert or we're in a prayer group or we're by ourselves in our house. He knows if we're trying to reach out and touch him or if we're just there in the crowd. He knows our heart. He sees it. And he reacts accordingly. Verse 32, he looked around to see who had done this thing. Now we know that Jesus not only knew who touched him, but why and what her name was, what her background was, all the things that had gone on in her life besides her physical condition. He knew everything about her. He created this girl. But notice the woman's reaction. In verse 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now think of the fear that she has. One of the fears is probably everybody saying, she bumped into me, I'm unclean, now I have to go do through, through the whole ceremony. No compassion on this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years but concerned with their condition, not hers. But Jesus saw through all that. He saw this childlike faith of this woman that was willing to go into a crowd that if they only knew who this was that was going in the crowd at the time, might have stoned her, might have thrown her out. Who knows what they would have done if they knew who this was. 
But this lady reminded me of a few people who fell at the foot of Jesus. I think of Mary and Martha. Remember Martha was upset? Mary was at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, listening, gazing up in his eyes as Jesus taught. I think of Mary washing, pouring the oil and bending down and washing Jesus' feet. I also think of when Peter and Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet and Peter said, get up. Stand up, I'm only a man. I think of John the Apostle in the book of Revelation when he fell at the angel's feet and the angel said, just get up and worship God, don't worship me. But here is this woman falling at Jesus' feet. And she's not being told to get up. Don't do this thing. Because Jesus was on the earth then to reveal himself as God. And he allowed people to worship him and come to him for the answers that no one else on this earth could give them. The doctors, the synagogue rulers, no one had the answers but Jesus. Twelve years, she's been an outcast. If she's had children, they probably didn't, she never heard the word mom. If she had a dad, probably never heard her dad call her by her name or call her daughter. But look what Jesus does. He not only meets her physical need, he meets her spiritual and emotional needs and mental needs. He says in verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She came to Jesus Sneak, she snuck up. But Jesus turned it out so the public could see. We're going to see just the opposite happen with Jairus. He came to Jesus in public. But we'll get to that in a few minutes and see what happens in Jairus' situation. What do you think Jairus is thinking while this delay is happening with this woman who interrupts his walk with Jesus to go see his daughter who's dying? Do you, th do you think he's thinking, oh, Jesus, come on. You can come back to this one. She's been bleeding 12 years. What's a couple more hours? Come on, my daughter's dying. I wonder if he's thinking that. Or is he thinking, oh yeah, Jesus, go ahead and heal her. No problem. I'll pray that everything's okay while you do this. My daughter can wait. I know what I'd be thinking. A couple more hours. 
She, she can wait. My daughter, come on, Jesus. But not Jesus, huh? Not our Lord, not our Savior. He had time for everybody. He had time for the woman with no name. It was his daughter. He knew her name. I believe he specifically doesn't say her name to comfort you and me. Because he knows every tear you've ever shed stores it in a bottle. He knows what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through today. He knows our worries, our anxieties. And all he wants us to do is reach out and touch him. Just to make that point of contact. Just to get closer to him. Because the Bible says, right, as we draw closer to him, he'll draw closer to us. That's a promise we need to cling to and act on. And you know the devil's going to be right there. We're going to see it coming up right now. You know the world, the flesh, and the devil has to come into this good scene now. Jesus has just healed this woman. You know there's going to be things here. But let me just, before I go to, and finish with Jairus, I just want to think about something with this woman. Why didn't Jesus just allow her to touch his garment, be healed, and go on? Why not? Jesus wants a personal relationship with each person. It wasn't enough for her to just reach and touch him. He wanted to confront her and see her face to face and touch her. He wanted to know that he cared about her and that she was healed. And she didn't steal a healing. She didn't steal it, the power that went out of Jesus. That power was there for her. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and ask Jesus. We don't have to be ashamed or coward. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We can go boldly to that throne. Okay, the world, flesh, and devil time. Always there. Always there. You have a good day at church. You know something's coming around the corner when you get home. Always happens. We've experienced. I know you're laughing because you know it's true. Go to a retreat. Oh, what a beautiful three days. Then all hell breaks loose when you go home. Right? Or go to work. It's nuts. Well, Jesus covers that here too. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Hello? Right? What's going on now? Right away. Put fear in. Put doubt in. Put anxiety and stress in your life again. She's dead. No use Jesus walking anymore. Poor Jairus is probably thinking, oh, I knew I shouldn't have thought that. I knew I should have been praying harder that he heal this woman. He's coming to get me now. Jesus is banging me now from my thoughts. Oh, my goodness, it's over. My poor baby. No, that's not how our God is. 
We might be like that, but our God is not like that. So here we have Jesus hearing the same thing that Jairus heard. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Is there fear in your life and my life that keeps us from believing Jesus and his word? Is there something that has brought fear, anxiety, stress in your life and my life that keeps us from believing Jesus and his word? Our faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. Are we students of the book? Do we have our face in the book? Are we being washed by his words? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. When we read his word, we're becoming closer and closer to Jesus and knowing him inside out and letting him know us inside out. When we're confronted with Jesus, we can tell him everything about ourselves, like this woman told him the whole truth about herself, everything she was going through. Jesus already knows what you're going through. But he wants a relationship. He wants that talking between. He wants you to verbalize your fears to him, your worries, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your victories. Don't be ashamed to do that. He already knows, but he wants that line of communication so he can touch you. And you can know that you've been in the presence of him. Verse 37, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James. Mount of Transfiguration, he brought Peter, James, and John. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, he had the apostles, but then he told them to stay, and he went a certain distance from, uh, to get more secluded, and he brought these three guys with him. I wonder why. Why those three guys? And he calls them by name here. We know by name what's going on. Now, I know that Jesus knew that one day Peter was going to be crucified upside down. We also know he's going to deny him. We know about John, that he's going to be the only apostle that doesn't go through martyrdom that he's going to go to the island of Patmos and he's going to write the book of Revelation. Now, there were a couple James. One was beheaded and another one was thrown from the temple. I believe this was the James that was beheaded. So God knew, Jesus knew what was going to happen to these men. Is that why he kept them closer? I don't know. The other apostles were martyred too. Were these three that needed to be kept close? Were these the three characters that had to be kept a closer eye on? 
Jesus has his eyes on you and me. Because we're characters. Let's admit it. We're not only sinners, we're characters. And we need to be kept a close watch on. I know I do. And that's a good thing to know that my Lord has his eyes on me. Even when I don't always have my eyes focused on him. I thank Jesus for his faithfulness in those times. So now we're coming to the house in verse 38 of Jairus. And there was an uproar, and there were those people who wept and wailed loudly. Can you imagine that the people were required to hire mourners, even the poor people? Since even the poorest man was required by common custom to hire a minimum of two flute players and one professional mourner in the event of his wife's death. It is probable that Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler, had a large number of professional mourners that were just wailing. Their hearts weren't even in it. And we're going to see how quick they change here. So here's an uproar. They're wailing, they're crying. And in verse 39, when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? Why are you making this uproar? Why are you crying? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him. So the ones that were crying and wailing loudly, all of a sudden, I guess you hire them to come to a uh, party too, so they're laughing and, and causing an uproar that way. But they just switched their emotions. Their heart wasn't in the sorriness for Jairus losing his daughter. Their heart wasn't in it. I think of the crowd again right now. I think of church settings. I think of large crowds going to church. How many of them, our hearts are in, to worship in the Lord and hear in his word? How many are just there for all different reasons? Tradition, it feels good. Whatever, whatever thing they have that comforts them. But how many are there to worship and to hear God's word? But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother. So he got rid of all the icing on the cake people. He got rid of all them. Took the mom and dad, whose hearts were breaking, were already broken. He took those who were with him, those who were close to him. And he entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said, Talitha, come, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. I wonder how much joy this mom and dad had in the 12 years of this young girl's life. 12. We heard about 12 earlier in the story tonight. 
Remember? With the woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years a child and 12 years of a suffering condition. But Jesus knew about both of them. 12 in the Bible, there's different numbers in the Bible. 12 is the number of government. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking of the 12 years of the woman and her bleeding and how that might have just governed her life. That was just waking, sleeping, eating. Everything was consumed by this bleeding. Then I think of the young child, 12 years of the mom and dad's life. Maybe everything was just centered around this girl at the sake of their lives were governed by their child rather than governed by God. can happen very easily. And I think what God wants us to always see is that he needs to be first and everything else will fall into place as he's first. We see that the girl rose up. Everybody was shocked. They were amazed. And then he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. It's always cool when Jesus heals people, right? Like Peter's mother, she got up and started fixing food. Here, this little girl gets up and they're feeding her. Jairus came to Jesus in a public setting. Jesus did the healing in a secluded room with just a few people. The woman snuck up behind Jesus trying to be sneaky. Jesus turned it into a public thing. What is Jesus doing in your heart and my heart? What is he trying to say today as so many things in this world are shakable? And falling apart. Can we get rid of everything? Can we throw everything out the window. And be satisfied with just Jesus Christ. Hopefully that answer is yes. But what is happening in the world? What is going on? Does Jesus have your attention? He's got mine. Are you watching? Are you hearing? Are you listening? Are you reading? Be a student of his word. In closing, I was thinking with a woman and she was telling the truth to Jesus all about herself. And I was wondering if she said this to Jesus or if she was covering this, that this was the truth that she said. Picture it. She fell at Jesus' feet. So all of a sudden she starts saying, well, Lord, I just want to tell you the truth that I was taught in, the, in my religion, just respecting God and the execution of his purposes through Christ and respecting the duties of man, opposing alike to the superstitions of the Gentiles and the inventions of the Jews and the corrupt opinions and precepts of false teachers even among Christians. Think she said that to Jesus? I had a hard time reading it. I don't think she said that. No, I think she just poured out her heart to Jesus right where she was. 
all her hurts, all her loneliness, all her frustrations, all her doubts, all her concerns. Where was he? Uh, why didn't he heal her earlier? I think she was being honest with Jesus. I think Jesus wants us to be honest with him in all areas of our life. Physical, mental, emotional, social, economically, whatever it is, he wants us to be honest. He wants us to fall at his feet, worship him, be honest with him, look into his word for the truth so he can put it in our hearts. Think of somebody right now that needs prayer. Somebody here, somebody in your family, somebody at work. We're going to take a minute or two before Dave plays, and I just want to finish with this quick story. Uh, today, as most of you know, I'm a physical education teacher, and we're doing the HESPA testing um, that we talked about with our youth group on Sunday. Many of them are taking the test this week. So our schedule is different, so we have some free time. So I was able to keep preparing for tonight's message. And just before school ended today, there was an eighth grade girl who every day does not, t I don't have her in class, she's uh, my partner's student, never takes class has long, nice blonde hair, but she always wears it like she hides behind it. Always down in the guidance office. Uh, from what I understand, uh, just being bounced around between parents and step-parents. Just very low self-esteem. And I've talked to her several times over the course of the year, and today it was perfect. This, it was just like, you know, she, God just put her right there. So I went over to her and we talked for a while. And today I told her, I'm going to be praying for you. I asked her some questions about how school was going, how her family life was, and the whole thing. But I said, I'm just going to be praying for you. And it just was so neat that I could feel God's love through me to her today. It was just a special, it was a neat moment today for me with this girl. And you just got to see her. She's just hurt and so bad. She's just so empty. So if you can remember for an eighth grade student, I won't say her name. Just because, you know, the tape and all people are listening, you never know. But just pray for this eighth grade girl that she just comes to know Jesus. That's all. Jesus knows her name. Jesus can reach out and touch her. I think he's already started to. But let's take a couple minutes and um, just let's pray. If you want to pray with someone about something, if you want to go to someone to ask for prayer for something, go for it. If you want to just sit where you are and pray, do that. We'll only do a couple minutes, and then Dave will come up and uh, finish with a closing song. Okay?